welcome to the Praxis Behind the Obscure podcast. And today I have a very special guest uh, by the name of Marco Visconti. I've recently, it's been a few months ago, I discovered him maybe three to six months ago through a few other friends' podcasts, um, such as the Magic Without Fears podcast, my friend Frater RC, and a couple other podcasts I saw you on. And uh, he worked at Treadwell Books, which is actually a pretty famous uh, esoteric bookstore out in the UK. Um, he's also been in the occult community, uh, getting is- initiated into the AA, the OTO, and several other groups. But uh, instead of me telling your story to yourself, I, I would be good. Uh, <laughs> maybe you can kind of give the listeners a little bit about your background and uh sort of how you got interested in the uh, occult and the esoteric. Of course. Well, thank, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me uh, to the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. And oh, what, where to start? Uh, my, my fascination and my involvement with, you know, the esoteric, uh, the esoteric and the occult really started early in life. Um, and it started just with my fascination with, for mythology, really. When I was very, a very young kid, like six, seven, six or seven, something like that, I discovered a series of books on mythology. Interestingly enough, not Roman mythology. And I say that because I was born and raised in Rome, in Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, you can imagine you, like if you, if you take a walk to the Roman Forum, you're surrounded by statues of Apollo, Diana, the Temple of Vesta. Uh, uh, somehow that never really clicked with me. I mean, I appreciate that. I was interested in history, but uh, that didn't click with me too much. I, what clicked with me a lot was, in fact, uh, Celtic and Egyptian mythology. Um, and so that was like my first, and I mean, I, I was a child at the time, so just reading, you know, uh, big books full of figures and images, but uh, they stuck with me. Um, and then a few years later, uh, it was the summer of 1990, actually, uh, 31 years ago, well, time flies, uh, I, um, I discovered through a comic book called Martin Mystere, which is actually a quite famous comic book in Italy about this anthropology, anthropology professor, kind of an Indiana Jones character uh, that lives all sorts of like mysterious and uh, esoteric adventures. There was basically a story about Aleister Crowley. And at the time I'm 12, so maybe not the best time to be exposed to Aleister Crowley, but that happened. <laughs> And, uh, and, and the reality there is that, um, I mean, I say it was, uh, it was 1990, um, I was becoming a teenager, really, and, I, I, and a few years later, I was becoming a metalhead and a goth, so, you know, Lester Crowley kind of came at the right time in many ways. <laughs> uh, and the story then went on like that. Um, I, I was lucky to be able to read and speak English at a very young age because I spent some time in the United States as a child, thanks to my father's father's job. And um, and so basically I was able to branch, you know, to branch out from just like the very few titles that were available in Italy, which for Croy was just magic uh, in theory and practice, which was the 1972 edition uh, created by John Simons and Kenneth Grant, badly translated, by the way, like with chunks left out because the guy translated in the 70s didn't know what to do with it, pretty much. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. Interesting enough, recently, uh, as of like a few months ago, actually, a new edition, a well-translated edition actually came out in Italy, so Italians can read the originals, finally, <laughs> like in the way it was supposed to be. Um, 
I still, I still would suggest everybody read read in English though because it makes more sense. Uh, mm-hmm. On that, and then you know, like from that, you know, I was able to branch out, read out, and I was like the budding, the very early age um, of the internet, and I was already on the internet. You know, BBSs, uh, IRCnet, you know, text chats, uh, which is very similar to what we have on Discord these days. Just the Discord is faster and works better. But at the time, um, there was a, there was a, like a, it felt like there was a lot of community being focused around this new experience of the shared information highway of the internet. Um, few, few, few years later, uh, barbelith.com would come, come along and that was like the biggest like chaos magic website and forum forum and I was on that and it was, you know, great experiences for me. And all this, you know, there's like building blocks for me that I was also a time like trying to make sense of dilemma on my own, eventually getting to meet people in Italy and be initiated in the AA when I turned 20. So like, it's already like 80 years down the line, if you think about it. And at the same time, uh, also getting to meet some people in the OTO, didn't click with them. Um, actually, they left me a very bad, ex- but, you know, but tasting them out. Uh-huh. Some people in Italy, Rome, very concentrated about, you know, trying to be as edgelordy as possible between drugs uh, and uh, uh, fascist connotations and whatnot. Which is interesting because eventually I did join the ODO many years later and, and I left many years later because those people were still there pretty much. I mean, not, not in Rome, but uh, across the organization. So that's pretty much my story in a nutshell. Uh, I've been, uh, um, I mean, I've been in, involved mostly, I would say, in Telema most of my life. Uh, I have studied other, uh, studied and practiced other currents, but always with a Telemic land. For instance, I, you know, I, I've been exposed to... I wouldn't say voodoo, but more like hoodoo and voodoo, thanks to Michael Bertio, uh, which I studied with directly in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And then um, I explored, I mean, by reading and then helping translate Kenneth Grant in Italian, um, I was exposed, well, to Tantra, really. I mean, like, of course, in Kenneth Grant, there's, a, there's Kenneth Grant's version of Tantra. So from that point, I went on and explored on my own. Never went to India, unfortunately, but uh, it's something that at some point I would like to do. Um, maybe not now. Given <laughs> this, this yeah, now is probably not the time, right? Like, a thousand cases a day or something like that, right? It, it, it's, really, it's, really, it's really heartbreaking. It really is, uh, yeah. yeah. Over the, like, eventually, eventually, you know, it all led me to, uh, well, let's say, that there's been a moment in my life then when I really switched my focus from music to, uh, from magic to music, and I've been a professional musician for, well, let's say, 15, 16 years, all the 2000s, uh, in pretty much until the day land of the 2010s, and, uh, and at the same I was still, like, practicing, I was still involved with, with groups, especially at the time with the audio, uh, but... Music was my more my my focus, and then of course, you you grow older. I, I mean, I'm gonna be 43 in a few days, so I'm not a spring chicken, as they say. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> like, yeah. you grow older, and uh, perspectives in life change, and you want to do different things in life. And so I started slowing down, moved to London, and that's where I joined Redwalls, uh, which is a fantastic, fantastic um, bookshop, event center. It's a magical place, really, in the in the heart of London. And, and from there, like my, my, my interest and my passion for being part of a magical community was rekindled. And, um, and that's you know, what led, led, led us to where we are today. Like I'm, I've been running this uh, community on Patreon for the last two years and a half now. 
well, two years, not two years and a half. And, you know, it started, it's really started at something like very small for a few people that wanted, at the time, for people that, that like, as me, like left the OTO and wanted to, you know, continue to have some sort of community, even if it was virtual, even if it was just like, you know, um, online only. Uh, and then, of course, the pandemic hits and this, this experience skyrockets. To the point and now we have 160 people which is not i mean it's not like massive numbers but i mean as you know you're part of it like it can it can get very very involved and that's honestly that's what i always wanted from uh, from the audio for instance which i never got because the audio was really about okay now we meet once a month we do these two things only and then everybody's for themselves i i always want to know if i join a lodge if i join a group a circle whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. let's try and make it every day magical right i mean mm -hmm. if it's possible you know according to our our daily lives and whatnot so that, right. that's that's me that's me that's me in a nutshell okay great actually that's a pretty good transition to a question that i wanted to ask you because i recently joined your patreon i think it's really cool what you have going on there and um you recently had that lecture on um on uh, babylon which is really good and you have other similar um sort of events that go on like that and you also have weekly uh, lessons that you present that I find that they, uh, it's a mixture. It's like a mixture between like beginner level topics, some intermediate mixed in with a little bit more advanced stuff in there. So there's a little bit for everyone, I would say, you know, whereas like uh, a lot of there's a lot of different, um, I, I guess you would say Patreons or uh, online platforms to learning, you know, esotericism and magic, which can be pretty much like either they're like really beginner level or um a lot of them are kind of diluted in a way i would say yeah. and so it's it's really good to see like what you have going on there a lot of community um participation and feedback and stuff like that which is really good so um what i'm really wondering is as you mentioned you're part of the oto and these different initiatory groups right orders um what do you think as far as the future goes now to the future do you think that that's kind of the way of the future or sort of like um is that do you think it's like a transition point where people are getting more into these like online communities and online guilds i guess you could call it um versus you know meeting up in person do you think there is still a place for like a lodge or meeting in person too i think that if we learn something from the last year of lockdowns and is that yes there is there is a lot of need to meet face to face mm -hmm. um I think, however, that the future will be will be mixed. Like you know, I think that now people know that they can they can you know enjoy a community and learn and even form bonds and friendships with others, even if you know you have to do it through through a screen. Now, it's for me it, for me it's always been a given because as I told you before, uh, I grew up I grew up with the internet really. I grew up you know I started using it in '92 or something like that. Like it was. And I, for me, it's always been, and I always had friends, you know, on the other side of the world. And I, and because I mean, especially as an as a budding esotericist back in the day, mm -hmm. uh, as a baby magician, uh, I was in Rome. There wasn't there in Rome. There's nothing really, um, especially not for 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 young people, especially back in the '90s. So for me, like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna log into this BBS and uh, I'm gonna speak with people that have my same interest, even if they're like much older than me, even if they live on the on the other side of, of the of the globe. Um, so for me, it was always a given. And then I realized that for most people, they, they never even thought that this could happen. The pandemic kind of forced everybody to, you know, to use Zoom, like we're using Zoom right now. <laughs> I right. remember using 
I mean, I started using Zoom because of the Patreon because I, I never wanted to go. I, I knew I knew that I needed if for that to work, I needed to have like you know a video call kind of experience. But I I hated Skype. I hated you know <laughs> Facebook Live. Uh, I was like, oh, and at the time like early, early 2019, so one year before the pandemic, I was like, oh, let's try this Zoom. I still like bite my tongue for not never having bought shares of Zoom because I knew it existed. <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> but I knew it existed, but I, I never, I didn't, I didn't think that 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 far in advance. Um, so my point is that where we're going, I think we will go to, a, we will need to go in a, in a hybrid uh, situation, whereby possibly the experience of what we used to call the outer course of orders, which I don't know, in the audio maybe it can be the Minerva degree, in the AA can be the student or maybe the probationer phase. Um, to a degree, um, in other groups there is always like there's always an outer court, right? When you do when you when you do the introductory um, work, really, that's something that maybe will be will maybe will switch completely online. Um, also, maybe to cast a wider net and to and to 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 be aware to be aware that maybe there are people that live I don't know in the United States that they will be willing to travel to to the UK if at some point they they want some something more involved. Uh, at the end of the month, um, I am actually hosting um, a mini gathering here in Glastonbury, where I live, uh, and there's plenty of people coming in the, from the United States. I mean, if the pandemic will allow it, because at this point, <laughs> I don't know. If the uh, immigration officials allow them. <laughs> exactly. But what, what's been very interesting to me is that, you know, these are all people that I met last year. They become very good friends. They become, I mean, they are my students, but that's, you know, even using that term to me, it's so redundant in many ways because they, they, mm. these people are more friends than anyone else. Like we share experiences together. I just happen to be the one that has been there before. I, I always like, I'm yeah. not a teacher. I like to think of myself as a personal trainer, magician, personal trainer, because, you know, like uh, I, I've been there before and um, and maybe I can tell you, you know, like uh-huh. this, this is what I did. This is what maybe I think you should do. Uh, at the same time, as a telemite, it's all about, you know, the, the single person finding their true will. Right. And doing what it makes sense for them. Mm-hmm. And again, what surprised me is that yeah the people are very willing eventually to decide okay i would like to have a a, a more a more in face-to-face experience and i'd be willing to travel uh that's 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 where i think we will go to uh to to answer this, this question a little bit more deeply though mm-hmm. i'm not sure the orders are needed anymore mm-hmm. i say this i say this multiple times Pretty much without fail, all my experiences in a hierarchical orders has been constellated with abuse, uh, mm-hmm. personal mm-hmm. abuse, uh, um, with abuse that I witnessed. Uh, there's always a situation whereby if you create a pyramid scheme where the person at the top is not a personal trainer, but it's you know an infallible guru, or right. you know this um, grandmaster at vitam. It always ends up with abuse. It always ends up maybe not maybe not for the person at the top directly, but it always creates like a very toxic environment whereby people will will pretty much murder their friends in order to get where they think they need to be, which degree they need to have. Uh, it becomes I think very that, very culty at that point, right? Would you say exactly? Exactly. Uh-huh. Like I said, it's not always the, it's not always the case of the person at the top. Oftentimes <laughs> is. Uh, but of, if it's not, it's not the problem of the leader. Uh, this things happens because the leader does nothing to avoid 
uh, them to happen. It's just almost, uh, it's almost like it's, um, I say, it's hardwired into the experience of the order, of the structure, of the hierarchy. This is not to say that hierarchy or order are not useful. Uh, I think that, however, when it becomes, uh, when I don't know, when the, the, the perception of spiritual advance becomes tied to uh, the degree that you must get to, and you can only get to that degree if you are a perfect lucky, if you're a perfect lapdog, then then it doesn't work anymore, you know? Uh, so so what I think in the future, to, to cut the long story short, we will not, I don't think we will use Zoom, I don't think we will use uh, online communities. It's, I, it's definitely true that there will be, um, I mean, especially as the world reopens, uh, you know, knock on wood, and as we move um, um, past this very, uh, deeply scarring experience that we all went through, we will use it less because, I mean, we, we, we all want to go out again. We want to travel again. I haven't been out of this this house for so long, pretty much. <laughs> so, you know, um, um, but at the same time, when it comes to magic experience, uh, I think the lesson here is that these tools are um, invaluable, really. They're not a substitute, but they must be, we must keep using them because they they brought a lot of positive experience to many people. Sure, sure. I mean, if you look at something like the OTO, um, which I've never been a part of, but know many people who, I know some people who currently are, and uh, a lot of people who either left or like, it almost seems like the real active people who really get active in practice or put out material or things like that, it seems like they just end up leaving or getting kicked out at some point, you know? And it just yep. becomes... Yeah, it's, it's kind of odd, right? Like, uh, you, you well, can look at, like, some of the more, I don't know, you'd say, I guess you'd say, like, more active um, magicians and people like that. Either they want to leave or they get kicked out at some point because they're not, like you said, maybe, um, <laughs> you know, serving their superior or kissing their ass. Or I don't really know what the dynamic is because I've never been in it, but. The situation, you know, the situation with the OTO is very specific because, I mean, in the in the founding documents that in themselves, it's written that the OTO is the first of the great order of old to have accepted the law of dilemma. It, it it's almost it's it's implied already that it's not a vehicle of the new eon. It's a it's an old Masonic system with all the the pros and cons of Freemasonry. And I'm still a Freemason. I'm the worshipful master of Goliath Lodge. 5595 in London. Uh, so I appreciate Freemasonry, but it's a very old school, old Eon system that I I am convinced now has nothing to do with dilemma. It can they just because it's a system that implies, I mean Freemasonry implies that as a Freemason you uh, bow to to the the true and living god most high so and and from, from that you know to the sovereign from that to the you know to to everybody that's on top of you on the hierarchy because you know in an old ionic patriarchal system hierarchy is everything that there is um candidates should be about something else and the funny bit is that crowley knew that uh crowley really tried to make the OTO work because at the time it was uh, it was um ideally um like a vehicle, a tool for him to bring him a lot of people and a lot of wealthy people. Of course, it didn't work out. And on this, you can read uh, Martin Starr, uh, The Unknown God, that has a, a lot of specific, amazing chapters on how uh, Crowley and Hakkad, Charles Stansel Jones, failed to get people like Masons uh, in Detroit to join. Uh, Richard Kaczynski, 
Panic in Detroit. Uh, it's another book to, to be read on, on expect, exactly understanding what happened at those, in those days. And after that, Crowley pretty much, I mean, really it is after that, Crowley pretty much give up, gives up on the OTO as uh, he still, he keeps writing about it because he had, already at that time in the 19th, 19, uh, I don't remember, I think 1930s, already at the time had embedded, maybe much earlier actually, don't quote me on that, uh, but already at the time had already he had embedded so much into the OTO system. A lot of telemic teachings are said in, in, you know, in plain language only if you go through certain degrees of the OTO. Uh, if you've seen like my Babylon lecture last week, actually, uh, like the, the nature of Babylon is uh, from you know, from a telemic standpoint, is spelled in full only uh, on spe on on you know in a specific section of the sixth degree of the OTO. Um, everywhere else, it's it's pretty much it's into that, and of course you can understand it. Uh, it's it's like, but if you wanted like to to if you want to, to be told like directly what is the what is the uh, the nature of Babylon, you you should be a sixth degree OTO. Crowley thought that everybody would get to the nine degree OTO. Because the people that restructured the OTO, so the OTO that I joined as well, it's pretty much like a reconstruction. Uh, it's not. It's something that has, uh, at some point, it want the um, Grady McMurtry wanted it to be some sort of mix mixture between the AA and the and the OTO. A little bit of you know lodge work, which is not part of the AA, but a lot of magical sections, uh, magical practices from the AA into it. Then you know, Bill Breeze comes along and he tries to to turn it into a mega church, and, and that fails. And now and then, you know, he, they started like investing on Daniel Gunther and trying to turn into a theocracy, and that's failed. <laughs> so um, I don't know. It's definitely true that what you say, and that's been my experience directly, but not so much for me because I'm just a no one really. It's more about a lot of other people that that I know to be incredibly, incredibly skilled magicians and incredibly devoted telemites. Um, they just get they they got like chased out of the OTO because it, you you remain in the OTO only if you're a servant. That's it. The OTO doesn't create telemites; it creates servants, which is so ridiculous if you think about it. Because in the four degree OTO, in the perfect initiate, there is a specific part of the ritual whereby Babylon tells you to trample all the oaths and all the all the masters you had before, never to bow before anybody else before. So it's like. Uh, did you guys even read what you're, what you're going through? Anyway, right, um, right. if I start speaking of the OTO, we can be there forever. So I, I don't know how many how many are going to be interested about that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've never, like I said, I've never been a part of it. But for me as an outsider, I guess you'd say, the, one of my biggest disappointments are that they don't really put out any new material. Like they've been sitting on, you know, all of these books and unpublished materials and um, even saying that they're going to put it out like seven, eight, nine years ago, you know, so they've been yeah. sitting on, it's sort of like, I don't really see the purpose of it if it's not really, you know, this moving, is... moving people forward and putting out material and stuff like that. It sort of seems sort of dead in the water in a way. The story there is really a situation that Bill Breeze lost his, uh, lost his ability to lead 20 years ago. And uh, at the same time, he never wanted to leave because if, if if when people you know fall down into their traps of their own ego and they think that they're going to be the masters forever uh that's what you get it's 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 kind of a story that repeats itself uh, everywhere really um i remember when i first joined the audio i was actually asked to help uh, um you know translate things in italian 
that didn't never happened. Uh, I was actually I knew that uh, allegedly uh, the new edition of Magic Without Tears with super gr I mean great annotations by Stephen King, not the uh, not the the, uh, the horror author, but that Stephen King is the name of Frederick Shiva, which is the Australian Grandmaster. That was due any day now. It's ten years later. Nothing. Um, I remember going to the Biennale in Venice to see the restored um, plates of the top deck. Beautiful. That happened. They've been sitting somewhere since 2013. Uh, they don't care because they know they can they can get by by doing nothing because they know. I mean, the aggregate is still powerful, uh, I mean, at least in attracting people. Um, they know that, and then the thing is that the even the message of the audio has been watered down again and again and again. Either from you know either to try and make it like Telema uh, seem like an ultra liberal current or an ultra reactionary one, whereby as usual the the truth is in the middle. And the, but the problem is that the middle doesn't sell. So <laughs> you, from time to, from time to time you know from time to time you get these these factions of the audio where everybody should be a bleeding art liberal times two thousand. Or in recent years we had this like people from I mean some of the some of the people that ended up in the insurrection at the Capitol in the United States are member of the ODO. Like right. I, rec I recognized people. Some kind because... of alt right, uh, alt right groups and things like this, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think that for everybody who's listens, like like Telema is beautiful. Don't don't waste your time with ODO. And even when you come to the AA, beware where you're going because that's another <laughs> that's another hornet's nest, as they say. Uh, I would say that if you really want to go somewhere, if you want, if you want, if you have like this scratch of joining an order, join an join an AA lineage. Uh, beware which one you join because one one is in strict collaboration with the ODL. so pretty much you're joining the ODL. Same people, same mentality, <laughs> same. <laughs> yeah. uh, others others vary. Um, I mean, I I am the older of a lineage, but I I don't care about transmitting. And I, I mean, I guess you've seen from the patron. I never speak about I I don't speak about grades. I don't speak about initiation. I don't speak about anything because I think that experience is we need to get out of it. We need to get away from it because at the end of the day, true initiation stems from the connection with the Holy Guardian Angel, right. uh, and and you know the you know the, the after that you know the the journey is. Personal, across, you know, trying to trying to cross the this this abyss that everybody on the internet says they've crossed, and uh, like like so recently, <laughs> I remember when I was you know when I was much younger, like oh everybody everybody and, and their mothers had knowledge and conversation with Oyo the Angel. Now everybody has crossed the abyss. Uh, recently, I've seen uh, a very famous. Uh, uh, let's say superstar magician that I'm not gonna name that uh, like uh, that uh, as was gonna say that he, he was gonna uh, put his uh, adeptus exemptus thesis on Twitter and then he started you know uh, pronouncing words as a magus like everything is uh, everybody's everything it's fine it's okay <laughs> right 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 well yeah I think that it's good basically what I get from what you're saying is sort of um you're basically saying that there's less of a need if any need maybe none at all sounds like what you're saying for sort of degrees and hierarchies and it's really more about getting people to do the work and attaining for themselves rather than the sort of exterior badges, badges and degrees and hierarchy political you know politics basically it's not basically what it is is like politics versus internal 
attainment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ab absolutely, absolutely. Um, I really think that we need to get rid of the Victorian mold. And I say that as somebody who's absolutely love Victorian aesthetics. <laughs> so, and, I, and as I said, like, I'm still a Freemason because I love the, uh, the pomp and the, uh, you know, and the beauty of Freemasonry. We need to get rid of that. That has served us no good. And uh, the reality there is that, that even the mentality, that, that mentality work because it's, you know, uh, it was born from a mentality of a British Empire mentality, right? Like, like one, uh, one monoculture um, trampling everything else and ordering everything else. Where the reality is that we live in a very, very complex and uh, layered reality, and uh, any any attempt to order it is pretty much a delusion. I think what's what you what we need to do is that we need to work with the flow, pretty much understanding, entering in the state of eudaimonia, if you want, uh, whereby we see the complexity and we go along with the complexity. Uh, it's not easy. It's not easy. Uh, attainment isn't easy. <laughs> you know, if it if it's if it was easy, everybody would have attained, and we wouldn't live in the world we live in. Uh, but I guess uh, the world around us tells us that we we have to do a lot of work still. Right. Okay. So um, now that we're kind of talking about these online communities as sort of a transition point, perhaps. Right. What? Because um, I've seen several online communities, or perhaps been a part of some too. And uh, what what do you think is like a standard that? What would be a good standard that they could be held up to? So we kind of talked about how the lodge system, these initiatory hierarchical orders kind of failed up to meet to their, to meet to a certain standard, right? There's abuse, there's political play, power plays, there's really like sitting on books that they never published that they're talking about for 10, 10 years, you know, clearly they haven't met, met up to the standard, right? So what would you say is like a good, um, do you have any ideas or perhaps any thoughts on uh, a sort of standard for an online community, because even with an online community, you could have big egos, you know, you could still have the same kind of uh, political power plays, you could have, um, like I was talking earlier, sort of like diluted down teachings to get a quick buck or things along those lines, right? So what do you think um, would be a pretty good like standard in that regard? I mean uh, if if I, if I were to put on my marketer hat, I would say mine, but, <laughs> but it, 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 I think that a good standard would be striking a good balance between making material, um, making like, you know, early stages material accessible, uh, giving, giving a solid foundation of the whatever is, you know, whatever is the flavor that you're going for. I mean, in my case, it's the lemon ceremonial magic. So for me, it's, it was fundamental to give a solid basis of, you know, where do you start? You start with reading, you start with, you know, with posture, you start with being able to uh, pretty much like learning how to embody your magic. And then you go through a series of like maybe a curriculum that has been tried and test. I would say, you know, the work with the pentagrams, the hexagon, the simple stuff, the stuff that you find in every primer. However, what I think it's important is the online community, it's not just a book, right? It's a book, but also you can actually, because of course, like you read the posts, but then you can interact with, not just with the teacher, but with, with other people that have been, been there. So it's more like, a, it's more an interactive primer, if you want. So I would say that is, that is the foundation of it. Um, next, you must, you must 
you must introduce more advanced material at some point. And I would uh, say, yeah. I would say earlier on, in fact, and I did it myself. Um, and what I can tell you is that I remember when I first started talking about a little bit more advanced stuff, mysticism, if you want, or introducing um, the fact that, you know, even if you stay in t only in Telema, Crowley expected his students to be Oxford ed educated, pretty much postdocs. I mean, that's the reality of that. And um, so for me at the first time, I was like, well, I mean, I'm not Oxford educated postdoc. I, I have a master. <laughs> I have a master in anthropology from a from a university in Rome, so nothing nothing fancy. Uh, but uh, but I realized that even that I I I have studied more than a lot of the people that join. Not my patron. I mean, they're interested in magic, and really, there you can leave them out, but you must guide them to you know to to challenge the fact that that maybe they find something difficult and move or move move on. And again, it's it's a lesson of learning how to properly balance the simple with the, the intermediate and then maybe a little dash of, of advancement right <laughs> down the line um another thing that i think it's important to do is to try and i'm i'm personally i'm still not convinced i got it right myself but try to to do as as as, as much practice as possible of course this is where the online community becomes uh becomes like almost like a hurdle because um, I remember how relatively easy and also uh, rewarding for everybody who was part participating was maybe to meet at Treadwells. Uh, I run, I run, I run, I run classes at Treadwells, and I run like uh, even six-week courses at Treadwells. And you know, meeting there in the in the basement, Treadwells has a beautiful basement, has a beautiful um, event uh, event area. And you know, lay out a circle of the art, a triangle of evocation, and then going through. Okay, now now we do this. Okay, now we are doing it. <laughs> Right. I've been trying to do this, uh, you know, by, uh, you know, trying to, you know, chant Enochian online. Uh, right. What's What's interesting to me is that I always told everybody, uh, guys, uh, I think this is gonna. This, I don't think this is gonna work. I find I find super stupid doing this. But I'll tell you what. Uh, a lot of people, if not everybody, actually was actually got a lot out of it because we're talking about maybe people that never ever been in a, in a circle before. They never heard like uh, an evocation. They never heard uh, vibrating the divine names or or whatever. Right? They never done any of this. So that was a moment where I was like, okay, for me, from my perspective, that you know, I bought all the tools, I crafted all the tools, I've been, I, I've done the Goisha twice over. <laughs> maybe that wasn't a good idea <laughs> but for me it seems seems uh, reductive for them it was a moment whereby okay this is good i'm i'm trying something new and i think th this is where this is what what the, the standards should be right solid mm -hmm. foundation presence I mean, like not leaving people to their own devices. Also, not doing just whenever, you, whenever you know, you go onto a live stream. Not doing like, let's uh, uh, a live stream exactly. But just I always prefer to do like Zoom calls because people can stop and and talk to me, or they can talk to each other. They can ask questions directly. Not just being passive, whereby you know, you just you just because it, it becomes it, it, it becomes like um, entertainment. It's not magic right. anymore. Right. It's just okay. You know. I'm, you know, I'm sitting in front of yet another YouTube video. What's what's the difference? Right? It's not the same. Right. That's what I see a lot out there is um, like well-marketed, uh, you know, it's sort of like well-marketed 
YouTube videos without quite the substance for a very high price, you know, and yeah. buy, buy all the secrets here. And then, you know, it really is not anything secret or anything like that. It's just very well marketed, well packaged um, in that way, right? However, like you said, I think that's what, what's really good about uh, what you're doing is you do have like, it is very practice heavy. There are a lot of lessons. And then there are the, um, the Zoom calls or the streams where you can actually ask questions and there's a lot of participation and things like that. So I think that if you're going to do something like that, actually being active in it rather than, you know, rather than just like recording a few, a few things and waiting for the bucks to pop in your bank account. It's sort of like at least being there to guide the people that have questions and, you know, because at the end of the day, you can only really inspire them. You can only really inform them on what to do, but they're going to have to do it for themselves. Right. But I, I think that if you're actually active, though, at least you'd seem that way. If you're actually active in the group, then it seemed like it would inspire more people to actually follow up rather than, um, you know, if you're not there at all, then it's like, oh, I bought it, whatever, maybe I'll do it some other day, you know, it's because they have an actual chance to ask questions and to, um, to be active, you know, to be active in a community. Something, something that I noticed is that there will always be um, an, an amount of people that will, that want, that want to be passive, you know, it could be because maybe they're very shy, <laughs> yeah. because, and that's fine, that's absolutely fine. However, I think it's, it's, if for you know again if we're setting like a golden standard for this you know new type of on, online community for esotericism it's like you know the the person the people at the top you know the organizers the teachers they must try to be as active as possible because again they 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 are the ones holding the space for everybody else i mean people are there because of them in many ways right so you know it's it's important to do that and i guess that this is the lesson i, I learned back when I was treasurer at Amethyst Lodge in London. And unfortunately, I have to say, you know, the other the other leaders of Amethyst Lodge, the master, the secretary, great people individually, but they were not suited for leadership because, you know, for them, it was like, let's do the minimum, the bare minimum, because they've done it all before. Mm -hmm. And then, and you know, this thing is gonna, is, is, is gonna go on, is, is gonna feed itself. Um, sure, it didn't, sure. it didn't in the end, you know, so right right i would also say that maybe another thing um just my own suggestion is adding in that the students i feel like students should always um be encouraged to think for themselves to question authority Absolutely. you know Absolutely. because because if not then it's really easy to fall into some sort of tribal cult thing or you know you, you know about like recent events right like if, if people are constantly encouraged to think for themselves rather than you know uh, worship some sort some, of uh, some sort of messiah who you know what yeah. I mean? Who, who has all the answers and, you know, you can't go elsewhere, you know? Something that, uh, that I noticed, unfortunately, um, that this is, this, this is happening a lot. This is happening a lot ac across this whole new occult influencer experience. Um, some months ago, uh, somebody told me, oh, you are a cult content creator. I denied that and I almost got canceled on Twitter because how do you dare say you're not a content creator? It's like, I, I, I don't want to be a content creator. I'm trying to, you know, to pass on some information that I learned. But the problem is that I realized that there is, there's a lot of that. And um, it's definitely true that there's a lot of tendency to, to become followers and just follow the leader and just like never question the master, right? Some right. people again uh, superstar uh, magicians some people tend to just lean into that 
and uh, and that that's that's very problematic and very dangerous at the same time i mean my approach to that um like i was on on a live stream on the, on the on, i don't know if you were on that last week and one question was really about uh, you know what happens when when i when we leave when, when we get you know um let's say also was a question but from madeline what is something about you know when when we leave a teacher how, how can we do that and my point is that you must leave a teacher at some point if okay. you don't leave ever uh you are becoming a follower you're not doing your true will you're not you haven't found yourself a teacher really is somebody or you know it's somebody that's there for a while and mm -hmm. but if, if 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 from if, if this role you know mutates and you don't see them as some as as an helper really but that's somebody that you just have to live vicariously through i mean there you go jesus 2.0 it's the same thing it happened before <laughs> it's like we are not learning anything at all pretty much right so, right exactly well if you have a teacher forever it's sort of like at one point i mean you should be doing your own thing you should be coming up with your own insights it's sort of like you're, you're just following the teacher because you're lazier you're not it becomes complacency i feel like you know i think there, there's an element of complacency and by the way i'm not saying that you know you must deny the teacher and become his enemy or anything like no, that no 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 <laughs> not, at all. Yeah, yeah. not at all it's more about from time to time i mean i have encouraged people in the last year already uh, that were you know uh, i have this year where they they basically gets one-on-one -on -one. it's more like a one-on-one -on -one experience right uh kind of like kind of molded on what the the aa superior uh experience was of course we don't do initiations but similar i have encouraged one person already uh to say you know what you, you don't need this anymore you, you you're doing your thing mm -hmm. uh, you're you're good uh you don't have to pay me anymore monthly uh, the person decided you know, to, to to go down on, on a on a cheaper tier and still part of the community but i i will always be the one to say hey i don't have anything else to tell you go go and go and find something maybe you can back and tell me something that could be good actually you know right exactly exactly and, and in many regards sometimes the teacher learns more than the student right and even even in, even in teaching it sort of forces you to see things from the student's angle or a different angle that perhaps you didn't really it, it almost forces you to have new insights right while you're doing it Absolutely. yeah it's definitely a beautiful thing um I'm curious, uh, because you've been doing this for decades, right? Um, do you have practices that you do regularly? Is it sort of kind of change with the current environment or mood or what you're working on? Do you have some sort of like regular practice or any I do, perhaps I, new areas you're exploring these days? I do have, uh, I still have the regular practices, of course. Um, over the course of the year, my practice really mutated from being, you know, strictly ceremonial uh, and with all the, you know, the bells and whistles and swords and daggers that come with it, which I still have on my altar, but I would say I don't really swing them around anymore. <laughs> yeah. it I would say over the years, it, it, it really mutated from magic to mysticism. Crowley mm -hmm. uh, speaks a lot about this. The fact that you know they, they are the, the sides of the same coin but in fact you know one does magic as long as they need in order to then unlock the understandings of mysticism now i don't think i have unlocked anything really but i realized that over the years um i am more in a state of flux again like a state whereby my practice, my daily practice can be, you know, can be devotional or can be meditative, mostly meditative, or from time to time can have the, um, 
can be a little bit more telemic based and in this case you know working with specific rituals star ruby and the star sapphire are still like big parts of what i do mm -hmm. uh, because i i understand them as tools to to move the initiation you know past certain uh certain milestones if you want uh, however i would say that over the years uh, like my, my my daily practice really became something much more um it's much more going inward as opposed of you know doing things in the physical space uh i still spend i still try to spend at least 30 minutes uh in meditation every day which might seems very little uh and it used to be more <laughs> but i also realized that i i was able to do more when i was also able to go out uh, without you know without being in the same house forever <laughs> so many ways the last year kind of kind of changed a lot of things and of course you know life comes up comes across uh you know uh, i mean i recently separated from my partner of many years so that I came across as well like there was a change in my life as well so i would say that my if if i can give anybody any advice like it as long as as long as you do keep a connection with the divine day day to day um it doesn't matter what you do, really. <laughs> this might sound very, uh, very uh, controversial, I would say, because I also insist that people, especially beginners, should actually, you know, build their body of light and work with prana and work with, you know, with asana and other things. Um, it's important for me to have to keep inflaming yourself with prayer towards the divine day by day. Yeah, um, I would agree. Form, how, how you do it, how you do it, it's really it's really down to you really. <laughs> once you once you once you've done the preparatory work at least um maybe one thing that i still do that it's more let's say peculiar if you want uh it's this trying this constant uh, trying and contact uh, like uh, what i call alter terrestrial intelligences hmm. which is uh you know it's it's that strange uh, I say like it's almost like in, in strange place where a lot of magician would say I'm I'm I'm, I'm never gonna touch that because I only work with demons or angels. I was like, and what do you think they are? Oh, they're not uh, you know UT or ETs. It's like for me, from what I understand, those are all fractalization of you know higher dimensional consciousness, and it's important to try and contact them because they have something to tell us, and I think they want they want hear something from us as well. So. I mean, this, of course, you know, led me to, to, you know, back in the day, having a lot of working a lot, first of all, with the traditional evocatory systems, you know, the, the various solomonic systems, um, and then with the Enochian system, which is something that I explored at length, uh, both in the original, the original the D system, which is much more complex than that what, you know, Crowley and the Gold, well, the Golden Dome first and Crowley used. Uh, and then in recent years, I really came up to devise my version of it. Um, and this is something that I mean, like you can, that's something that I'm trying to pass on on to Patreon, uh, on the Patreon classes, whereby, and I, I always, you know, preface by saying, you know, this Enochian that we do here, it's uh, Marco Visconti's version of it. Uh, right. Use it. Use it at your risk. Pretty much, it worked for me, and uh, and 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 we we've been having some good experiences so far. But it's really something that was born from. Uh, I think that the Enochian system is incredibly powerful. Oh, uh, I think I think there's there's definitely something otherworldly in in the language in how in the intelligences that you contact 
and the, 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 you know, the words, the inner words that you can explore through, through the system. Uh, I also think that it, if you work with it long enough, you're, you're kind of challenged at some point to say, okay, this is pretty much what, what, what happened to me is that, you know, the, the, the angels of the Enochian system, which for me, even calling angels, it's funny, but anyway, <laughs> the, 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 those intelligences, um, you know, they crafted a system for D and Kelly and the work of D and Kelly is done. Yeah. You can still work with the system, but you must, you know, starting from the, the language itself, you must devise your own ways to to go across the ethers and to to hear what's there and and and, and bring back the noses that you need to bring back. Right, definitely. So Enochian has been something that I've been really interested uh, in in a long for a long time for not necessarily even a long time, maybe a few years now. I actually got interested in it many many years ago, but I didn't really take a dive into it until about two years ago when I took a uh, it was like a short like a four four-day uh, Zoom course with uh, Lon Milo Duquette about okay. Enochian. It was scrying the aethers. We scried uh, three of the aethers and sort of went over like, you know, a bit about the background of uh, the, the system. And um, it, it was a very, very good experience. Like you said, you can kind of give people a taste of it. And then it's yeah. on them to kind of, are you really going to go in there and do your own work, right? And so after that, yeah. I, I got the um, the uh, Spiritual Diaries of D by Skinner, which has a lot more of the um, the untranslated Latin parts of the diaries. It's, a, it's more of a full picture of the, uh, the diaries of the true and faithful relation, uh, ship. And then also the, uh, the Peterson book, the, uh, five books of mystery and, you know, several of like the original material and just doing my own work. And, uh, what's been really interesting for me the whole time with the Enochian stuff is that, you know, you have these other magical systems where perhaps you can have experiences or perhaps it takes a lot of preparation or things along those lines. But I found that even with Enochian, even reading, for example, texts, like you're planning to describe uh, texts coming up soon, right? I found that yeah. even with, even with uh, almost like no experience or no idea what you're doing, I found even just scrying it and having or reading it aloud, and then other people sort of just listening to it, it, all, it immediately puts them into an altered state, which I find to be fascinating, because that can't really be said with a lot of other um, I mean, you know, that's yeah. You know, that's precisely what what always you know when I when I first working with with uh, with Enochian, I was like, wow, well, this is different. This does this really does something out of the box, right? Right. I, I I would say that you still need some of the some if not all of the tools because mm -hmm. it's almost like you're creating a, you're you're creating a, a very complex magical engine. However, the language itself can be understood as you know as an oral language, you know, the original language. Uh, this is interesting because I don't know if you ever uh, um, read Franz Barden. Franz Barden um, thought about the same about the um, the Hebrew language, and you know he, he thought of the Hebrew language, uh, you know, the, the use of uh, of um, the the language not so much in a mantic way, you know, like using gematria to figure out, uh, you know, which are the connections and trying to get like that kind of insight, but really like to put together words and create things which is again it's rabbi lore it's how you create the golem right the same idea i think that it's not so much the hebrew language but it's the enochian language like the enochian language when you say it out loud you you pretty much you know open little vortexes around you and this is not a perfect uh, anal uh analogy but you know let's let's roll with it right now this is also why you know the first thing that i suggested 
people in the Patreon to do, even before we started doing the goals, mm -hmm. uh, it's really about, you know, get yourself familiar with the letters, with the alphabet, mm -hmm. uh, chant them. Like we, we created rosaries, which is not something, it's not a practice that it's found anywhere that I know of, mm -hmm. uh, maybe, you know, in, uh, in, in the traditional Enochian system. But I found it very useful because, you know, with you, you, can, you almost start having a relationship with, with the spirit of the letter, each one right. of them. And then when you start combining them, you know, you can you can be more aware of the kind of subtle or not so subtle changes they bring into the world around. As you say, like next Sunday, actually, from I don't know when you, when this podcast when we're going to go live, but on June the 6th, we will actually, you know, attempt an online scrying of the, the 30th year text. Uh, I never done this before. <laughs> For me, um, you know the idea that you know we chant the 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 call and then we we stare into i mean i don't know what's gonna happen um last time we did the the, the previous calls there was a, there was a lot of like synchronicity happening there was a lot of people that never done anything before like that reporting the same vision yeah. uh so you know it's like okay uh i'm okay thinking it's all uh you know it, it's all in the mind uh maybe maybe the mind is much bigger than we think it is as long Ducat says so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knows really i mean my experience too is uh this is something i wanted to pick your brain about because you have experience with enochian is that from my experience say you're working with like planetary angels and archangels and something like zafkiel mikael these kind of entities they feel more fractal or light or something like that but then when you work when you're scrying the aethers or you're working with these Enochian entities, the entities you come upon, to me, in my experience, and many other people have kind of seconded this, is they almost feel like alien, like, like multidimensional, extraterrestrial. It's like working with an alien versus working with something a little bit closer to you, I would say. Would you say that's pretty accurate with your experience, I think that's absolutely accurate with my experience uh, as well. Uh, the way I understand the angels, you know, of the elements of the Sephiroth, of the planets, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, those are, uh, I think it was it was on this podcast with my friend Mana that I, I defined them as the infrastructure of reality. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, you know, the, the code, the source code of the world we live in, right? Those are, those are what angel are. Angel come from uh, Greek, angelos, messenger. It's really like they're, they're conveyor, conveyor of, of of information. Of course, some of them will be more um, personalized, the Archangels, classic example. Uh, some of them will feel more alien, the Ophanim, uh, the Seraphim. All of them are still part of the reality that we are enmeshed into. Now, the Enochian angels are indeed something <laughs> of a complete different, uh, different matter. Um, and they're not even really originally Enochian. I mean, that's a term that people throw on later. You know, that, cool. that's another common misunderstanding. Like, oh, they're Enochian angels because, you know, uh, John Dee was Christian or whatever. And so, I mean, they really, <laughs> that's just the term that was thrown on later. They don't have the name Enochian. You know, it's not like, you know, it's not like that was uh, what they originally named or anything like that. Exactly. I mean, I guess because, you know, people wanted to conflate them, you know, with the, with the myth of Enoch. Uh, you know, the idea of the Nephilim, the idea of the, um, you know, of the fallen angels that, you know, mingle with humans, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I think there is there is an element there that could be, should be investigated. But then again, it's the same element of, and I'm going to throw a, like a crazy analogy here, same element of, I would say, 
um, you know, the fair, the fay, the fairy, um, you know, mingling with humans or aliens mingling with humans, you know, coming string <laughs> spaceships. And my understanding uh, where I stand right now is that these, there are entities that exist outside our reality mm -hmm. uh, that are willing to, to, to exchange information with us. And I really think, I mean, Crowley said this to Kenneth Grant, uh, I really think that the scope of magic is to get in touch with these entities. Um, you know, Crowley himself, some of his more successful operations where, you know, the Amalantra, the Abudis working, where he was pretty much, you know, channeling, contacting, working with energies and entities that are outside what I would say our continuum. Um, and that's where, that's where true magic is. Uh, the the other side of the coin is that if you go too much going down into this rabbit hole, you end up with you know becoming becoming a living douchebag and thinking that. It's still important to stay grounded in what I guess someone would call objective reality, right? Like, I mean, I almost exactly. think that, yeah, it's easy. Like once you rip open this uh, vortex, I guess you could call it, it's like I just need to go all. <laughs> it's like you, 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 I think it could become very. Maybe that's a danger. You know, a lot of people talk about the dangers of Anokia and like it's going to destroy your life and whatever, you know, there's the apocalypse. <laughs> I think I think those are all sort of overblown in my opinion. But I think a real danger is almost like getting obsessed or getting sort of losing uh, touch with this reality, with Malkuth. I, th right? I think that, I think that, that, is the, that is the danger of every magical and mystical experience. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why, again, I insist so much on the fundamentals, like, you know, what I call the building of the body of light. Uh, I, up until to this day, like in, in our community, in my community, I told people we're not going to do any sort of evocation ever, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it's something that you need to even scrying it's bordering to that right because even sure. scrying is getting to a point where you do get in contact with something else if, mm -hmm. if it's successful uh but as i said before at some point you need to push the boundary you need to start and try and introduce something new because if not it just you know you're gonna wear you just become stale right but, exactly there's been enough uh you know how many primer books are there there's hundreds of books exactly. where it's just you know do uh fourfold breath and lbrp for 30 years you know eventually you have to you have to kind of you know push try the, something more exactly yeah yeah yearn for more right yeah. but re also regarding about you know this i mean should it should it be should it be controversial let's be controversial there's been a lot of like discussion about oh i see like the danger of the Enochian. i think this this usually comes from authors that have their own demons and they have not exercised their own demons. Mm. The latest in this is Jason Lu with his uh, in the Empire of Angels. It's the last book that came out on Enochian, a much advertised book. He's a great writer. It's a it's a pleasure to read him. It's a, it's really good. it's good. Like you know, you read it. It may, he makes a compelling story. He can tell a story. He can tell his story though. Like it's pretty clear. Uh, if you know Jason across the, the years, that the man has gone through some drama and uh, he, he tends to find, you know, to try and point the finger. This is bad, this is bad, this is bad. Now it's Enochian. So some years ago, it was voodoo, whereby all voodoo practitioners, in whose uh, opinion, were pedophiles. All of them. Oh, jeez. I mean, <laughs> and it, it was like, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe the problem is not in the system. And there will be some systems that can be more dangerous or more tricky than others mm -hmm. maybe it's 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 in the in the individual uh, 
So yeah, I've been controversial, sorry. <laughs> right. No, actually, I read that book. I really enjoyed it, but I, I felt the conclusion. That I, I've read a couple of Nokian books similar to that. There's the, uh, what's the name of that book? John D. and the Empire of Angels. I read that. That was Luke's book. And I read um, one of Aaron Leach's books. And so what I think the problem is, a lot of these books, they start out really good. They're formative. You know, you learn some history and um, they are good books, but then it very becomes almost like a, like a New York Times opinion piece. If you if you get I feel like they, they should I think the problem with these books, just in my personal opinion, is that when they go to these conclusions, it should not be stated as a fact. It should be like this is my own take on it or this is my opinion. But with a lot of these books, like uh Aaron Leach had one called the Enochian Grimoire or something like that. And then uh with Lou's book. It's sort of like, no, this is how it is. It's like, it's almost written like it's some sort of fact where it's like, well, I don't exactly. think that the Enochian system with my experience has nothing to do with, you know, Zionism or, you know, or whatever, whatever the conclusion happens to be, right? Like you have to be Christian because that's what you know, the, whole, the whole thing was about or whatever, you know, whatever. I mean, but that's, exactly, you know, that's exactly the point. How, how can you come? And you know what? It's it's not just it's not just them, right? It's uh, there. There's so many people. I mean, if if you if you take a dive on occult Twitter, you will soon enough find a couple of people that I'm not gonna name because they're incredibly toxic. That you know they pretty much think they have the truth with every all capitals, right? And uh, and and the truth is pretty much a super weird mixture of ultra libertarianism uh, coupled with. Uh, it's just like you know toxicity to the end and there's like you cannot speak about magic if it doesn't precisely uh, go along the truth and i'm thinking okay uh this is this you know these are people with deep in deep, deeply seated insecurities uh, you know big uh, unsolved problems and uh, it's just problematic a little bit when you know, one one of maybe one of one of these people write a book, and this book becomes widely read. Because then again, you know, for 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 newbies, if you, if I can use the term, you, they can go there and say, oh, okay, this is the truth. This is it. I mean, it's in the book. Right. This person, this person is a well-known author. Uh, again, this kind of tells us how a lot of a lot of these people, people that would think this way, they maybe will never want to become magicians because they don't want to do the work. They want to read about the work. They want to have someone else do it for them and tell them, okay, this is, you know, this is how it is. <laughs> uh, magic is about getting your hands dirty and oftentimes all the rest of your body as well. <laughs> so there's, there's, there's no way around it. <laughs> you know, you, you yeah. got to do it yourself. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And to go back to a point that you mentioned, it's sort of like people haven't exercised their demons. That's really my experience is that it's sort of what Enochian, what Scrying the Aethers will do is it will sort of tap into, it'll sort of raise your vibration and make you, the best analogy I can give is almost like an intense psychedelic experience where you're forced yeah. to face your own self. You're forced to face your own shadow. You're forced to face, you know, things that you've been avoiding and, um, you'll have sort of revelations or experience in this regard. And it would be easy just to say that, oh, that's evil, you know, because it's forcing you to see yourself and the kind of parts that you're avoiding, right? And so um, that, that's just my own thing. Because when I scribe the Aethers, I've had very intense experiences too, but then it's sort of intense in the fact that I have to face certain things and work it out and uh, do the work, so to speak, right? Before I move on to the next, the next thing, right? It's not, yeah. It, it's and not something that you blame other people or blame the Enochian system or something like that. 
I mean, it's, 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 again, it's so from, you know, from, from a dilemmic perspective, it's such like an old Ionic vision of, okay, I'm going to blame something else because then Jesus will save me. And then something, always someone else, right? right. It's always someone else doing something. And I'll, you know what? I'm guilty of doing that myself. We all are. I mean, uh, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I find myself doing that a lot, but I also stop and think, okay, maybe 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 i should actually do something myself and it's not it's in it, 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 and when it comes to magic it's kind of like the golden rule like it doesn't matter how much you know you still study with teachers you read books you have to do it yourself at some point especially i would say if you think you're not ready for that mm-hmm. um because again there is a risk in being reckless but there's a greater risk in being too conservative um oh for sure I mean, <laughs> Definitely. I think uh, there's something that uh, Jake Stratton Kent said a long time ago. I think he said something like, you're eventually going to get your hands burnt or something like if you're not, if you're not, if you're avoiding getting your hands burnt, you're never really going to learn a lesson. You're never really going to know where the boundaries are, right? Like you're eventually going to have to face some reality and you're going to have to, you're going to have to have your own experiences basically, I think is what Absolutely. it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and you know, and you, and your experience might end up being completely different from what's written in the books and completely different from what your teacher tells you. So it's going to be down to your discernment to understand, okay, did I fool myself or am I, you know, bridging to somewhere new? Uh, that's again, that's also something that nobody can tell you. Part of magic is, is becoming like, you know, emotionally and uh, psychically, if you want, mature enough to understand, okay, this time I, you know, I fooled myself. This time, no. This time, I'm going somewhere interesting, and I'm going to pursue it. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> most definitely, definitely. Um, one thing I thought that was cool about, um, I guess, to go back to your Patreon, is uh, you had a lesson on Blam, which I thought was really cool. And uh, I, I guess that that's been a big part of the Kenneth Grant work, which is something that I've never, I've never actually read any of Kenneth Grant's work. And I find that there's people who like got really into Kenneth Grant. They had all his books or read all his books. And, they, most of them are extremely expensive. It's hard to, you know, even buy, unless you're really rich these days, it's hard to get a hold of some of these books. But uh, luckily with the internet nowadays, you know, you can download PDFs and eBooks and things along these lines. But uh, as you mentioned that you have translated uh, some of Kenneth Grant's material into Italian, and it sounds like you have a lot of experience with that. Maybe you can kind of share, kind of curious, like since you've worked with his material or at least read through it and translated it, what are your thoughts on his work? So uh, I, I discovered Kenneth Grant very early in the 90s because, as I said before, at the times, the only Crowley that was available really were two, Moonchild and uh, Magic Interior Practice. And then, there was, Kenneth, and then was, there was like the first two books of Kenneth Grant, uh, you know, The Magical Revival and Aleister Crowley and The Hidden God. So I was like, okay, let's go there. Let's read there. And of course, it's, it's a wild ride. <laughs> let's put it like that. It's a really wild ride. Because Kenneth Grant, my understanding of it, first of all, I want to also say I, I'm not a member of the Tifonian Order, never was. Uh, I have corresponded with Kenneth Grant back 20 years ago when I was translating the books, and I'll tell you shortly how, why I was doing it. And then when I was part of, when I was at Treadwells, I met and chatted with Michael Stalley, which is the current leader uh, of the Tifonian Order, and the person behind uh, Starfire Publishing uh, many times, but that's it. We, that's my extent of it. Everything that comes from Gangan has been always my own 
reading. I have I have everything. I've read everything multiple times. And uh, what I love about Ken Grant is that he was a man that went and do, did a work for himself. Uh, it was a time where, I mean, he, he, of course, he, he, he wasn't secretary of Crowley, but that was only the last two years of Crowley's life, so it wasn't that much. And, 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 the, and the relationship was very uh, rocky, to say the least, as every relationship with Crowley, because Crowley was an incredibly unpleasant man. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and the reality there is that at some point, Ken Grant decided, I'm called to this, I'm going to go and do my work. And what you find in the, so for those of you, those the listeners never read anything about Kenneth Grant, his legacy is literally like nine books, which are called the Tiffonian Trilogies. Mm-hmm. And in this Tiffonian Trilogies, you would expect to find magical practices. Instead, there's wild stories uh, <laughs> that you never know when, you know, truth ends and fiction begins it's everything blends together uh and stories about you know you know wild speculation on the uh, earth past you know history of humanity uh connections with lovecraft connections with aliens connections with everything like it almost feels like a pulp magazine from time to time <laughs> and i and i loved it because it was like this is exactly the kind of wild expanse that i want from magic it has to be a place where at some point you give in to the strange because if you don't again you end up into yet another masonic lodge and i love masonic lodges but (laughs) i always wanted something else as well the reason why i ended up translating kenneth grant helping translate kenneth grant um and michael bertio as well michael bertio it's the same as kenneth grant by the way and michael is still alive and a fantastic person mm-hmm. um the reason is because at the time i was um i was just out of a very silly group called the dragon rouge which is i mean in recent years became almost like another neo-nazi organization but at the time it wasn't it was more like a Kenneth Grant for beginners uh, and, and the likes that they like metal music pretty much yeah. <laughs> and I was I realized at the time that okay that's this is um, I mean this is not really real uh and and through that connection I met a person called Roberto Miliusi and at the time he was already uh translating as Austin Osman's pair uh and uh, we we became friends we started working together we had like our magical group between 2002 end of 2002 and 2005 and then as every classic um, magical group situation we parted ways and never spoke ever since uh as as it, as it goes pretty much however on those years he was already in contact with Kenneth Grant and Michael Bertillo because I mean Kenneth Grant at the time was I think it was like if I'm not mistaken the literary executor of, of, of Austin on Spare still wow. uh, and that's why I mean that was the connection right to Spare translating Spare in Italian to Grant and then at the time we, re- we realized well there's only two books of Grant translated. Let's translate all the others. So Roberto did the bulk of the work of translation on um, Cults of the Shadows, and I helped out. Then I did the bulk of the work on translation on uh, um, Cosmic Meditation, sorry, Cosmic Meditation, The Lucky Udu and Cosmic Meditation by Michael Bertieu. And then again, I edited, helped editing Against the Light by Kenneth Grant. Uh, on that time, that's also, you know, I got in touch with both Grant and Bertio and I started, you know, corresponding. Eventually, I would meet Bertio directly and work with him for many years. And Grant, I never met him in the flesh, but, you know, we had a, we, we exchanged a lot of letters. And th- through those letters, I realized, okay, 
what is really doing in in the Stephonian trilogies? It's more about showing the mind of a, of a of a of a wild magician, right? Almost to inspire people to go and and try and do the same. Create create your system. Create your go and have the direct contact with the intelligences, with the with the gods, with the goddesses, with angels, the demons, everything that exists in between heaven and earth and beyond earth and heaven as well. Um, there's nothing in the books that are straight up practices you can do. There's a lot of hints, like there's a lot of hints in the, in Crowley, if you know where to look. Mm -hmm. um, however, you can't. I mean, I never, I never found anybody who, who said, okay, you know, this is what New Isis Lodge, which was you know the major group that Grant um, headed mm -hmm. between fifty-five and sixty-two, and got him expelled from the ODO. Um, interesting enough, he got expelled from the ODO not because. Carl Germer, which was the leader after Crowley, had anything at all to say about the fact that Kenneth Grant was doing weird and wild magical stuff. Right. It's only because Grant, uh, Kenneth Germer, uh, wanted Grant to charge his uh, students fees for for the ODO, and Grant refused. Like, like New Isis Lodge was a free order. Like uh, it was very private, but on, they would not pay any fees. So that's why Germer expelled it. Uh, and of course, then Grant, you know claimed that he was the the or the head of the order as usual you know how this thing <laughs> go. um uh recently well recently it's three years ago almost now to yeah it was like what uh was january of 2019 mm -hmm. so it's been two years and something uh i was again at treadwells in um, for an for an event mm -hmm. and uh michael stalley's wife caroline wise uh, um announced that they were going eventually to publish some of all the rituals of Noisis Lodge. Mm -hmm. that, that has not happened yet, but I'm certainly looking forward to that. At the same time, I'm almost scared because, you know, the, I think the beauty of Kenneth Grant is to understand that, A, it's a personal, it's a personal work. Uh, you should not emulate it completely. You should not think that, I don't know, uh, if, you, if you don't feel like any connection with Lovecraft, don't go there. Uh, you don't have to, you know, to follow again, uh, like almost lavishly in the in the in the at the feet of the guru. Like you can go and do your thing. But I'm kind of scared that if this book with the rituals ever came out, which again, as a completist, I would like to have it. Uh, I almost feel that then people would say, okay, this we're gonna do this. That's it. <laughs> no, no, we're never gonna deviate from. Uh, and and it's 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 really a pity because the deviation is what created a lot of interesting work. Um, there's this amazing, well, amazing on the paper, I haven't read it, book coming out in October by uh, Jeffrey Evans, which used to be the Grandmaster of the Tifonian Order in the United States, and Peter Lavenda, mm -hmm. um, coming, and it's called, uh, I don't know, the, the something about Kerala. It's it's a strange, like, Telema meets Egyptiana mummification rituals and all that. It's like, okay, that's interesting. I mean, I want to read it. Maybe I read it, and it's like, okay, this is bollocks but at least you know these um this approach to magic as art has inspired this book to come out and inspired many other approaches to come out now of course the counterpoint to this is that if you go back on twitter and you look for those people i mentioned before that have the truth they will tell you this is also this is all bullshit this is not god told us this is different so everything that does that is is a retard 
Uh, I think the word is beautiful because it's varied, and I think it's good to have variety out there. Um, definitely, definitely. Also, maybe because I, you know, I grew up in Rome, and I know what the Vatican looked like, <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and it seems it seems that all these people want to be Vatican 2.0 and uh, and you know <laughs> dictate the rules. Um, I don't know, magic. Uh, magic for me is much more is much more akin to art, and it should be. I mean, it is the art of magic, right? Uh, if you if you take that part away, it all becomes stale and it becomes not something really worth pursuing. Right. I mean, ultimately, it's something you have to do for yourself and have your own experiences and make it your own rather yeah. than, you know, this is the official. You have to believe this and you have to do it this way. You know, it's sort of something you have to exper uh, experiment with and experience and sort of see the results and kind of adjust. And then, you know, <laughs> wash, rinse, repeat, I guess you would say, right, over and over again. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I, I heard somewhere that you, um, you mentioned that you were born in Rome. I think I heard somewhere that you were uh, baptized by the Pope. Is that correct? That is actually correct. <laughs> That's wild. That's insane. So at a the very story, young age, I imagine, right? The story goes down. <laughs> yeah, that, that's yeah. wild. Wow. It, it, the, goes, the story goes there. I mean, back in the day, I don't know if it's still possible anymore. If you have, if you have, if your family was connected with uh, people working for the Vatican's, uh, for the Vatican, Vatican's, for the Vatican, and in my case, my godfather uh, was pretty, like the director of the, the Vatican market. So uh, yeah, it was pretty pretty high up up there. Like you could request uh, to be put in a series like a group of people that would receive the, the baptismal um, chrism by the Pope at St. Peter's. Uh, in fact, like you know, since this thing has been coming up again and again, I have the photos. So I am I'm trying to get my father to scan me back in Italy to scan them and send them over. And I'm possibly going to put them online, so everybody's going to laugh because because of course you know, look what I how how it turned out to be. Not exactly. How, how would you, know, you say, I, I'm, I'm just very curious because that is a very unique, and very um, different kind of experience to actually get baptized in Rome by the Pope. Do you, was it something at the time that wasn't really a big deal just because it was kind of part of your normal life? Or in retrospect, do you think that that had a big impact on you? Well, you got to consider that, I mean, in Italy, you get baptized when you're like one month, few months old. So uh, I don't remember. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. It's something that you saw photos of. You're you're just a little baby. No, I mean I have photos. I have photos of that. I have with my you know, my mom and my mom there and everything. Huh? Uh, but I and the, the thing is that you know I've been in St. Peter's Basilica many times, and you know when you have like these very early memories of childhood. And I mean I have a I have a very good memory, but of course it doesn't go. I mean first early real memories I have when I was like three or four something like that, mm -hmm. and that would have happened like three years before. I was baptized like it was in November, and I was born in June, so you know, a few months later. Uh, the thing is. Like, there's the photos, obviously. There's the stories, of course, told by my parents forever because it's it was it, it was a big deal. I mean, it, it wasn't it was not a big deal. But um, the reality there is that eventually I turned out to be pretty much an heretic. I mean, uh, even consider that I, I'm actually for them I am a proper heretic because uh, I hold uh, an apostolic lineage in um, you know in the Gnostic Church. And that's you know that's that's as as you know as as erratic as you can get pretty much. Yeah. So, and also was also like when when I was like what seventeen mm -hmm. something like that, I requested um, the annulment of the baptism. Now, what you can do in Italy, it's there's this this website called uh, U A 
uaar.it and that's basically an, an acronym for uh, unione um, um i don't remember it's something in italian mm -hmm. uh, uh, pretty much like people that want to be that they want to they're either uh, atheist or agnostic and they over the years they put up this big um campaign for people to request to be um in, in italian school sbattezzato or you know annulment of the baptism because what happens there is that the italian and the italian government is so super i mean so slave to to the vatican that there's so much money is poured from italian taxes into the vatican it's 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 a very complex situation i'm, I'm not going to bore you with that mm -hmm. um also the vatican will every time they would say hey uh, there's like five millions of Catholics in the world. I don't even know the number. Something like that they will they will count into that number everybody who's ever been baptized mm -hmm. and not uh, and not requested the the annulment. So I did that and I have the annulment. But they, they, they the the letter that they sent it was something across the line like, well, the the sacrament it cannot be removed. But you will we recognize that you don't want to you don't want to be part of this. Um, you know of the church anymore if you and then they say something like if you decide not, not to go to hell tell us pretty much so yeah that's the, that's that's a funny story over there yeah um i think one last question we kind of went over it earlier but uh since you've been in the occult community so long and you've kind of seen all these ebbs and flows and changes and now with this online these online communities and everything where where do you see this sort of current going you know, from now into the future, do you do you see any like developments right now, or what? What would you say? What do you what do you see in like, you know, maybe the next few years? What do you think uh, kind of developments do you see happening? I am curious to see how many of how many of those who joined the wider community in in the years of witch talk and uh, occult influencer will stay, because I feel that we do need young blood we do need uh, a change of the guard mm -hmm. um i'm not sure that what we've been experiencing is pretty good to be fair because uh we again the discourse online is dire and, uh, and it has not been this dire in a long time not even at the time you know of uh, forums uh, or usenet or whatnot what i think is going to be massive coming forward is the as soon as virtual reality and i would say haptic virtual reality will become uh available and uh, you know widespread that's going to be the game changer because at that mm -hmm. point you you will be able to create pretty much uh, the entirety of the words that you should create you know with the visualization uh, you'll be able to create them in um, direct experience right direct physical experience now i'm curious to see that because i think that's important i mean i am i'm really am a transhumanist in many ways i think that uh, like I think recently on on a podcast with Gordon White and uh, Peter Gray, they spoke about how the future is going to the stars. You know, mm -hmm. very Elon Musk. I think the future is getting rid of our biological bodies. To be fair, <laughs> I think the I think I think uh, the future is you know getting into the matrix if you want, but maybe you know being in control of it, which is going to be the actual problem. Um, mm. So well, I think uh, integration with technology sort of well, there's a term for that I forgot where it's uh, it's sort of like human it's like the symbiosis of technology and humans basically. I I mean uh, I I don't know if you maybe cyborg or something like that or cyber. Yeah, something. Like, yeah, there's another one I forgot. But anyways, yeah, you uh, see you see sort of the evolution. I mean, even with the uh, like the occult currents, 
um, if you're able to use VR and all these new technologies, you, I mean, you're talking about like uh, uh, getting rid of these orders and these hierarchies, but I mean, in theory, with very good VR and technologies, you could have the initiatory experiences through these machines and well, know, what, what you, could, you know, what you could have, you could have the the physical experience like you could see that you could see and feel maybe the temples and uh, you know the garments and whatnot which is by the way a very important bit because 99 percent of disorders don't even have like a, a real temple they meet in somebody's basement so you know <laughs> a garage, a garage, yeah. your garage or basement or attic or whatever yeah. uh what i what i think is that like I, I think that's gonna be the future i think that's where we where we should go through the 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 big deal will be to be able at the same time to know that you will still you still be we still need to do the work because yes you know that kind of the kind of world will be able, will will allow you to experience uh, you know wild vistas however at the end of the day you must be able to experience them with your mind's eye you know exactly. beyond you know. Exactly. I mean, then again you would argue is that the mind's eye like if you if you if you if this information is you know bombarded into your brain directly and you leave it it, it, does it mean that then technology has an answer in your mind's eye? Possibly. Uh, I'm definitely curious to see when that happened because I, I feel I really feel we are. Um, I mean, Rikers Vi was speaking of the singularity, and he thought the singularity would come in 20, what, 2012. Uh, we're like ten years away, <laughs> but I feel that like if we're going there, that's what I'm excited about. I don't really care about going into space because I don't think that's suitable. I don't think we'll do it. To be fair, um, I think that these uh, these. Uh... The explorations of these inner spaces that um, exactly yeah definitely. because you know because the problem the problem is that the problem with going to space and going to another planet is that we're going to strip it bare as we did with this one <laughs> it's like that's what humanity does it destroys what they what they find um instead you know learning learning to you know access the inner words properly using technology if we get the, the, the technology to do that I'm, I'm, that's what I'm interested in. That's what I think we're gonna go into. And I think that, that again, if we can balance the fact that in this new generation can really get off, you know, the cancel culture, trigger, happy mentality, or, <laughs> or you know, or, or the witch talk mentality of everything in, in like five second pills that give you nothing really. Uh, and I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of young people that are really good. So I, I think, I think that, I think that that's possible. Mm -hmm. And again, if we, if we're able not to destroy our, we were, our hurt long enough to maybe, you know, find a way to get into our inner words, we're going to be in a good way, in a good spot. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah I agree. <laughs> Definitely. I think the same thing, but, uh, I do wonder, I think that when you do practices that you have to build this sort of, um, sort of like weightlifting for the aura, for the mind's eye, for the third eye. You're doing these sort of practices that build, like you said earlier, build the foundation of visualization, breathing, these kind of things. I am very curious if these sort of technologies, I think I can see definitely how they can become an aid or an assistant in a way, right? Um, just as right now, like right now you're using Patreon and YouTube and clearly that's effective. That is essentially, that is already <laughs> the symbiosis of uh, technology and practitioners because they are using online videos. Look at about 100, 200 years ago, 300 years ago. I mean, you weren't looking at YouTube videos of somebody doing a practice that you could, you know, directly emulate, right? And that definitely has value because absolutely, you read a text and you're like, left, right, this, that. I mean, it can be very confusing. Whereas if you see somebody who's a, a initiate or practitioner of something doing something, 
and then asking them questions that, you know, you're already ahead of the game, right? But uh, I, I am curious if, to what degree do we outsource, you know, if you're talking about like putting chips in our heads and these kind of things, like to what degree do we lose those abilities? I mean, that's something I definitely cannot answer. But. I, I think, I think that will be, that will be like the big, uh, you know, the, the big, the big deal. Try to understand, you know, what is this a Faust, uh, yet another Faustian bargain? Are we going to lose something out of it, or are we going to gain something out of it? Um, mm-hmm. As I mean, if we look, if we look at technology right now, especially in the recent years of understanding of data leaks and whatnot, it it, it it's a bit of a gray space. <laughs> but uh, but I don't think I I think I think we need to keep going because that's that's what's gonna open us to new new possibilities that as, as, as right now are still unthinkable. Because again, thinking of going to Mars, thinking to going to yeah, another planet, it's just doing what we have always done, you know, physically going somewhere, learning how to, you know, master the resources and use those resources. But I think that we need to learn how to get to pretty much like live resourceless, like live in a state of uh, perf- constant, you know, like perpetuum mobile, if you want, which is, of course, it's a, it's a lofty goal uh, and possibly just a utopia, but I, I'm more interested in that. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, say you could run a, a chip or a program or whatever it is, a VR experience, where everyone can see that we are just one consciousness. That would yeah. already you know, amplify everybody who ran the program, I guess you'd say, or whatever. That would automatically amplify their empathy because they would see their brother as themselves and it would uh, you know, make the world much more of an enjoyable place to live, right? So they, that's where I could see technologies could really foster, you know, more of a pleasant human experience and a harmonious human experience and seeing the world through different a different lens of unity rather than this tribalism and, you know, all the current um, uh, problems that we see going on in the world. Right. And I think I think I think that um, somehow we. I, I, I want you know I want to be optimistic even if there maybe there should be no no reason to be optimistic but I feel that like after after some like five to six years that have been they've been like very grim uh, I think that what's coming up next is gonna it's not gonna be as grim yeah. <laughs> I also you know like this is the first day of summer here in the UK pretty much I, I want I want to be post positive for once <laughs> no, I feel you I feel you um all right cool well uh, this has been a really good conversation and maybe later on down the line after uh after some time maybe we'll do a round two at some point but as for now um can you tell the listeners about any kind of events or programs or um we talked a little bit about the patreon what would you like to uh share with the listeners resources and how they can find you too of course. Oh, okay. Um, he, they can find me. Uh, my website is uh, marcovisconti.org, my name, .org, and on Patreon, marcovisconti, patreon.com slash marcovisconti. Uh, join us. We have fun. <laughs> that's, uh, that's all I can say. Um, you were asking me like maybe to plug some other podcasts and whatnot. There is uh, my friend Mana, uh, the, uh, the Real Witches of End Times is a fantastic, fantastic podcast. And Mana, Mana is a very interesting person she does she's a, she's, a, she's an artist she 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 really blends together many different words and we were talking about this you know before uh about like how magic and art really should mingle and i mean listen to the, that podcast uh, she also you know really invites the, the wilder people and i and i love it and i absolutely oh, love awesome. it awesome. Uh, and uh 
I don't know. The, the reality there is that, I mean, the, I was telling you, think about her because, I mean, I was listening to, to her podcast before joining here. And the reality there is that there's so much good stuff out there these days. If I may suggest, I, I mean, maybe I'm going to tell you something different. Like, I would suggest you not to follow those <laughs> or not to listen to those groups or those people that put themselves as the absolute guru. That's mm. something you don't. That's something you don't want to do. That's oh. and on, on, on that note, I'm I'm, I'm not going to say more because if not, I get it gets spicy, and I don't want to get spicy. <laughs> oh, that's pretty funny. But yeah, people can check out um, your Patreon. You recently did that um, the uh, lecture or talk on Babylon, which is really cool. And do you, do you have any Absolutely. other um, any other uh, plans for like a next lecture like that or an event like that? I tend to so basically those are um, those are like one-off lectures that I all do every two or three months on different topics. Of course, the last one was in Babylon. Uh, I did one on the thought deck. I did one on esoteric Freemasonry. I did a general one on you know introdu- back back in the day introduction on, on Aleister Crowley, uh, and I also did one on uh, well the intersection between Telema and this strange uh, paranormal show called Hellier. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm thinking. I mean, all of these are still available uh, if you join at the Yesod tier, which is second tier. It's ten pounds a month. Uh, you can you can still access that and something about I don't know. At this point, we must have something about like 50, 60 hours of recorded material, um, like live streams, Q and A's, uh, um, rituals. Because there's also the Enochian uh, the Enochian rituals that have been you know recorded. Uh, we did we did some strange almost like a paranormal investigation as well. Uh, so there's there's a lot of stuff. Like really, like I'm very grateful. Um, there's two people I want, like Tom and Lawrence. The, they 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 done a ma- majestic work in you know putting together all this stuff like uh, like in an index because that was some Patreon is a very messy um, platform, mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't allow you it doesn't allow the creator to index their stuff. It's a bit it's a bit messy. So anyway, thank you for Tom and Lawrence to do that. Um, what I'm thinking about doing next, uh, um, I don't know yet. I don't know yet. There is there's a lot. There's been a lot of discussion. And a lot of people asking me to guide, you know, to do like a comprehensive lesson on the system of the OTO, which I kind of touched on the esoteric Freemasonry one, but, you know, going more deep into that, mm-hmm. um, that could be interesting. Um, at the same time, I, I, I really wish we could just get rid of the OTO and never speak about <laughs> it again. Uh, something that I, I, something I want to like go at some, go deeper at some point is more like looking at telemic mysticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, going we we did we did a we had like a book club reading Vision and the Voice, and it lasted for like three months and was extended to a fort, and we still only barely scratched the, the surface, as you can imagine. It's a very complex text, uh, and I would like to go back there again with the idea of you know not always doing just the simple basic level stuff, but try to do something more more deeper, going more deeper. Um, so possibly you know putting together maybe a series of path working based on on the vision and the voice so not so much you know doing an okian and scrying the ethers mm-hmm. but just like getting the vision that were that Crowley received which pretty much informed telema i mean babylon comes from those visions uh and then you know maybe create a series of guided meditations into that there it, the, what i like about patreon is that it's so it's such um like um 
a growing beast in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I do something and then, you know, the community gives me feedback and then, you know, I move, I, I, I receive the feedback and I inform my next move with whatever comes. It's a very, it's a two-way street really, which, which it works for me because, you know, it keeps me, it keeps me interested as well. So as opposed to, you know, say, okay, let's do the pentagrams all the time. Let's do the hexagrams all the time. Done. Bye. <laughs> oh, definitely. And that's cool that you're doing the vision and the voice. Uh, I read that course before. And uh, there are different versions, you know, there's the, um, I, I read like just the uncommented, no commentary version uh, before. And then there's the uh, the one in the Equinox, right, which has commentary. There's a bunch online with people who wrote in their commentary. Then there's the Eshelman version. And I mean, I'm interested yep. to read like, I, I, it's a book that I definitely want to read several times because it is, it's one of the most impressive let alone, I mean, even if you're not into mysticism or magic, just to read it as almost literature is fascinating alone, right? But then uh, the deeper you dive into it, there's just so much, um, so much there that you can unpack. And so it's one of those books that, I mean, you could read it probably a hundred times and get all kinds of. It's one of it's, it's one of those places. It's one of those books that really need several several readings, pretty much, because you 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 cannot unpack in one. Uh, and and if you think you you did, think again. <laughs> because oh, for, sure. It's... for sure. Okay, cool. Well, this has been really good, and uh, I'll link your website and your Patreon and anything else you want in the show notes. And thanks for joining us. And until next time. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Bye bye.